Do you know that Mother's Day is the third most celebrated day in the United States, most celebrated holiday, only behind Christmas and Easter? On Mother's Day, 145 million cards will be sent, and $14.6 billion will be spent to honor mom and with gifts and dinners and cards and flowers. 69% of that $14.6 billion is in cards, and, and moms deserve it because moms are special. Can I get an amen to that? I heard about a husband who was feeling guilty because he wasn't giving his wife the love and appreciation that she really, really deserved. So he decided to change his ways. And one day driving home from work, he stopped and bought a box of candy and bought some flowers. And, you know, when he got to the house, rather than, you know, just going in, he rang the doorbell. And his wife came and opened it, and there he was with a box of candy in one hand, flowers in the other, and he started singing, have I told you how much I love you lately? His wife immediately started crying, not because she was touched, (laughs) but she said to him, she says, Harry, it has been a horrible day. We have a plumbing leak, the kids have been rebellious, the house is a mess, and now you've showed up drunk. (laughs) (laughs) hopefully that is not your reaction when your husband or kids start showing you some affection you know here at calvary vista on sunday mornings we are about 90 percent of the time we are working our way through a book of the bible because we believe that that is the best way for us to grow and to learn is to study God's word in context. So right now we are studying through the book of First Peter. We've gone through the first three chapters. We've spent 15 weeks just diving deep into those three chapters. We're going to spend six more weeks in the final two chapters. But today we're going to pause from our study in First Peter to look at and to spend the day talking about moms. And you might ask, why pause? We pause at Christmas to consider the birth of Christ. We pause at Easter to consider the resurrection of Christ because both of those are essential to our faith. But we also tend to pause in our studies through books of the Bible for Mother's Day and Father's Day. And the reason is, is you guys are central to the faith of your families. But we also pause because this is in God's top ten of his commandments. He says that you should honor your father and mother. And so we pause in our studies through the books of the Bible to, on days like today, to do that. Unless the book that we're going through happens to deal with and really speak to um, moms or dads in that moment. That will actually be the case when we get to First Peter chapter 5 on Father's Day. Peter has much to say in chapter 5 that really is applicable 
to fathers, and so we'll continue in 1 Peter. But where we're going to end up next time in our study in 1 Peter is in chapter 4. We're going to spend two weeks where Peter starts talking about living in the last days. And I just felt that wasn't the most appropriate thing to talk about (laughs) on Mother's Day. So we are looking here in 2 Peter, pausing, to discuss a mother and a grandmother how a mom or a grandmother can really help change the world by impacting their kids. And in our text today, we're going to see a, a mother and a grandmother who together raised a young man who became a world changer. His name was Timothy. This letter is addressed to him. He was handpicked by the Apostle Paul to help him spread the gospel all over the world. But Timothy's faith journey started with his grandmother and his mother. And I want to just say this to those of you who are maybe not moms here, that you also, this is applicable to you because you as women who are following Jesus really are to be spiritual mothers or big sisters to younger women in the faith. And so I want to encourage you today to keep that in mind as we go through this. And this is also applicable to all the men in the room because what we're going to talk about today, what we're going to see in these two ladies is really things that we see in Jesus. And we're told in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that this is God's goal for all of us is to conform us into the image of his own dear son. So there is application for all of us. Let's begin reading here today in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also." Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. As we look at this text today and look at these two women, I want to give you ladies three ways to invest in your children that can impact the world. They're simple. And the first way that you can invest is through tenderness. Tenderness is something that most moms and grandmas are great at. And you'll notice in our text that the first thing that Paul remembers when he thinks about Timothy were his tears. Now, not Paul's tears for Timothy, but Timothy's tears. Timothy cried. Now, what's going on? Why why does Paul mention this? Well, one thing we know about Timothy is that he was probably the most loyal friend that Paul had. Of all the people who served alongside Paul the Apostle in his ministry, there was no one like Timothy. In fact, when Paul was sending him to the church in Philippi, he said this about Timothy. He says, I have no one who is like-minded who will naturally care for your state like Timothy. And that phrase, like-minded, means of equal soul. He was equal-souled 
In other words, Paul was saying, our souls are the same, our spirits are the same, our minds are almost the same on everything. I have no one who will care for you in the same way that I would, except Timothy. Well, this loyal friend and follower of Paul the Apostle demonstrated a tender expression through tears. At some point, we're not sure exactly when this was. It might have been when Paul, who had pastored the church in Ephesus for three years, it was the longest place that Paul ever pastored. Three years he spent in Ephesus, and after three years of just pouring into that church, when it was time for Paul to to then leave and go back out on the mission field, who did he pick to replace him? Timothy. And it might have been then that Timothy was moved to tears to think that he was going to be stepping into the shoes of the Apostle Paul to lead this church. It might have been in Acts chapter 20 that Paul's making reference of when Paul got together with the pastors and elders of that church in Ephesus. And they had a little mini retreat on the island of Miletus. And it says, as Paul was leaving them, they all knelt down on the beach and they cried greatly. And Timothy would have been a part of that group. The point being is Timothy had a tender heart. Tender toward the Lord, tender toward people. And tenderness is a good trait to have in a man. You know, a lot of times it's easy today for men to think that they need to be aloof or, or to be macho. But, but to be honest with you, I don't know that that is the most godly or Christ-like traits for us to have. I mean, Jesus himself, we read that when he came to the place where Lazarus was buried, that he wept. And the idea is that he cried convulsingly. I mean, he was sobbing as he came to the gravesite of his friend who had died. And later on, we read of Jesus crying in a similar type of way over the city of Jerusalem. For the nation of Israel, his heart broke for them. And it was that tenderness that people saw in Jesus that I think drew them to Jesus. They saw he was tender. They, they saw that, that he was real. You know, it's tenderness that makes a man approachable. It's tenderness that makes a man relatable. It's tenderness that makes a man credible. And those were things that people saw in Jesus. And they were drawn to him because of that. It's interesting that God himself compares himself to a mother in the book of Isaiah in chapter 66, verse 13, when he said this, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. God there, God the Father comparing himself to the tenderness of a mom. And the tenderness of a mom is really built in. It's designed by God. We see it when a little baby is born, like, like little King James. I mean, it's beautiful when that baby comes out and what happens? They, they place that baby on the chest of his mother so that he can begin to nurse from her breast. There's, there's no more beautiful and tender picture in maybe all of the universe than that of a mother nursing her child. And God, that was part of God's design. My wife, Denise, has always been so much more tender and compassionate than me. When our kids would fall or there'd be some crisis happening in the family, I was so much more prone to say to them, come on, shake it off. 
you know, come on, get up, you know, come on, suck it up, you know, that, that was my mentality, but she was just so tender to come alongside of them and, and to hold them when they, they were crying, and she was so much more compassionate, so much more willing to listen. And my son, who is a very tender man, I think he learned a lot of that tenderness from Jesus and from his mother as he saw that in her. Moms have a certain gentleness about them. It's why when kids are sick, dad can be right there. And what do they say? He's like, say, come here. And he's like, no, no, I want mommy, you know, when, when they're sick. Need my mom to help me and hold me. It's been said the father is the head of the house, but the mother is the heart of the house. That's why dads can spend years pouring into their little boys, teach them how to play ball and hit a ball and throw a ball. And then that little boy, you know, gets really, really good and he gets into college and then he makes it into the pros and, and then he scores that touchdown or hits that home run. And after the game, the cameras are on him. And what's the first thing he says is, hi, mom. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I taught you how to do that, but moms are just special. It was Napoleon Bonaparte who said this, let France have good mothers and she will have good sons. Timothy got his tenderness from his mother and from his grandmother, two women in his life that really showed those traits the most. And so that's the first investment that a mom can make is that of tenderness. And Paul was saying, I remember I remember, Timothy, I remember your tears, I remember your faith, I remember just the impact that your mom and grandmother had upon you. Here's the second investment, it's that of godliness. In verse 5, notice he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. Most scholars believe the reason is nothing... Nothing is said about the faith of Timothy's father is because Timothy's father was not a believer. He's not a follower of Jesus. In fact, we read this in Acts chapter 16. Then Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. And the idea there being his father wasn't a follower of Jesus. So Timothy grew up in a divided home. And most scholars believe that Timothy's dad either died when he was young or left his mother because of her faith in Jesus Christ. So Timothy was raised by his mother, a single mom, with the help of her grandmother. Timothy's mother's name is Eunice, and it's a great name. Eunice means one who conquers well or one who gets a good victory. And Eunice is appropriately named because she conquered the forces of a divided home and lived to see her son become an evangelist and a pastor. And I want all of you single moms to take courage in this. All of you moms here who may be married to a man who is not a Christian, or somebody who isn't following God's word. I want you to be encouraged in this, that there's hope in this, that your lone impact can be enough. Can be enough on that child. Notice the term genuine faith in verse 5. 
That term derives from one Greek word, which means unhypocritical. Unhypocritical is translated genuine or sincere or real. Now, in that day and age, a hypocrite was actually a word that they used to describe an actor, somebody who was acting in the plays, and they would wear these masks. And so, in other words, it was describing someone who was pretending to be something that they're not. But Paul says of of Eunice and Lois that that wasn't them, that they weren't pretending that their faith was real. That they had a real faith and a real love for Jesus. And it was evident. It was a genuine faith that you could see in their lives. And I just want to say this about this church family. Because that's one of the things that I have always really loved and appreciated about all of you. Is that you have a genuine faith in Jesus. And it's evident. There's not many here that are playing church. Or many that are pretending to be something that, that you're not. I see that sometimes in in other places, but I've always, always, always been so encouraged by that genuineness that is in you, that you guys, you love Jesus, you love to study his word, and, and as your pastor, that just fills my heart with great, great joy. But a genuine faith of a mom can go a long way. My life has been greatly impacted by the genuine faith of my mother and my father. But I have a love for God's word today, and I start most mornings with a cup of tea and my Bible, because that's what I saw my mom do as I was growing up. Every morning when I would get up, I'd see my mom sitting in her chair with her cup of tea and her Bible. Now, she drinks Lipton. I've moved on from that. I like Tetley. It's stronger, but, but that example has made an impact in me. To be a man of the word of God. I have an affection for the church and the body of Christ because my mom made it a priority to take me to church. Even before my dad got saved, she'd take my brother and I. I was active in youth group as a teen because my mom drove me to all the events and all the services and all the things that were going on. And our home was always open to teenagers, to our youth group events. She ingrained in me a love and appreciation for the body of Christ. And I want to encourage all of you here who are parents that that have young kids still at home. I want to encourage you in this. Don't talk about the church negatively around your kids. You know, it's, it's true. The church isn't perfect. You know that, right? <laughs> okay. So I always say that, you know, we are a, a family, but we are a dysfunctional family. Because it's true. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all in that process of still being transformed by Jesus, our loving Redeemer. So we are a dysfunctional family, but we are the best dysfunctional family around because we have a great head in Christ. But don't talk negatively around your kids about the church. When things happen, you know, at church, that just maybe somebody rubs you the wrong way because your kids need to feel like this is the greatest place in the world. This is the place where I go and I learn about Jesus. 
And the things that my parents are teaching me at home is just being reinstilled in me here in children's ministry and youth group and, and that sort of thing. Because I'll tell you this, I've seen parents who've had a tendency to be very critical about the church. And they talk about the church in a critical kind of way around their kids. And then I've watched those kids grow up and want nothing to do with the church. And it doesn't surprise me. So I just want to say that. I just want to encourage you in that way. I'm so thankful for my mom and dad and just the, what they instilled in me. We were always at church that hunger for the word of God. I learned the importance of mentorship and discipleship from my mother because my mother has spent her life pouring into younger women. She even does that now. She has many, many daughters in the faith. And she instilled in me that example so that today I'm still seeking to pour into younger men in the faith. And I saw that modeled in my mother. My mom has modeled for me That example of being a servant, having a servant's heart and serving selflessly. It was Abraham Lincoln who said this, no one is poor who has a godly mother. Experts tell us that 85% of a child's character is formed and developed by the time they reach five. That's why Charles Spurgeon said, before a child reaches seven, teach him all the way to heaven. And better still, the work will thrive if he learns it before he's five. Give it to them while they're young. Now, Eunice and Lois were most likely, they came to Christ during Paul's first missionary journey. And they passed that on to Timothy. Timothy was a young boy at that time. When Paul comes around to Lystra on his second missionary journey, now Timothy is a young man, and Paul saw something in him of this genuine faith that had started in his mother and grandmother and had been passed on to him. And Paul saw this young man and saw that he was the real deal. And as he looked at him, as he got to know him, he discerned that there was a calling on Timothy's life for ministry. And so Paul invited him to join him in serving Jesus. Which leads us to the third investment that a mother or grandmother can make and with their children, and that's that of boldness. Let me hear everybody say boldness. Now, speaking of boldness, I read a story. It was called When a Southern Grandma Goes to Court. It took place in Mississippi. In a trial in a southern small town, a prosecuting attorney called his first witness. It was a grandmother, an elderly woman by the name of Mrs. Jones. He said to Mrs. Jones, he said, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she responded and said, why, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a boy. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. (laughs) You lie. You cheat on your wife. You manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think that you're a big shot, but you haven't got the brains to realize that you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. Well, the attorney was shocked. He didn't know what to say. So he pointed to the defense attorney and said, do you know him too? (laughs) And she responded and said, yes, I know him. I've known him, Mr. Bailey. I've known him since he was a youngster too. He's lazy, bigoted. He's got a drinking problem. He can't 
build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the worst in the entire state. Not to mention that he cheated on his wife three times and once was with your wife. (laughs) Yes, I know him. Well, the defense attorney collapsed in his chair. Well, the judge quickly called both the attorneys to the bench, and he whispered to them, he said, don't either of you idiots ask if she knows me. (laughs) If you do, I'll send you to the electric chair. (laughs) I don't think that's the kind of boldness that Paul was talking about. But it's interesting, you, you see somebody come against a mother's kids. You see her boldness come out, don't you? She turns into a mama bear. My mom has always been bold. Short, petite, but bold. And I remember one time when I was about 10 years old, I was coming home from baseball practice. I was riding, we practiced was about a mile and a half from my house, and I was riding through this neighborhood, and I got, two, I got jumped by these two older boys. They were like 13 or 14, and they punched me. I took my glove, took my hat, they spit on me. And I went riding home, pulled up into the driveway, and my mom could see that I'd been crying. And she said, she was out in the garage doing laundry, and she said, what happened? What's wrong? And I told her, these two kids, they jumped me, they hit me, they took my hat and glove, and they spit on me. And my mom looked at me and said, get in the car. (laughs) And we drove into that neighborhood, and those two boys were in their garage. And my mom got out of the car, and she went, and she put the fear of God in these two boys. She laid into them, not physically, but verbally. And they apologized, and they gave my glove back, my hat back. They promised to never do anything like that again. They vowed to join the priesthood. I mean, (laughs) but I'd never seen that in my mom. It's like, wow, little mama bear. Now, I did see it about six years later when I was driving and came home one night after curfew way after curfew. I pulled up and all the lights were off in the house. My dad would, went to work at three in the morning, so he was always went to bed early. But it looked like everybody was asleep except the porch light was on and I just was sneaking into the house. And I opened up the door and I closed it and there was my mother. <laughs> she pushed me into the door and she got in my face and she said, where have you been? And being a smart aleck teenager, I said, what's the big deal? And man, she let me have it. And she said, you know what? I can't go to sleep at night until I know that you're home safe. Well, I was never late again, or at least (laughs) without calling and saying, hey, I'm going to be a little bit late. Here's why. And when my kids started driving, I totally understood. Totally understood that. What Paul's talking about here is a holy boldness, a confidence in God. Look look at verse 6 again. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. 
Now notice that. Therefore I remind you. The therefore indicates. Whoever see is there, therefore, it's always pointing back to what was said. And he says, therefore, I remind you. It's pointing back to the influence of his mother and his grandmother. You see, being a Christian and a woman in the Roman Empire at this particular time was not an easy task. And Eunice and Lois modeled a bold faith in Jesus. They chose to go against the grain in raising Timothy in the ways of the Lord. And Paul wanted young Timothy to stir up that gift of faith in him that had first been seen in his mom and his grandmother. He was encouraging him to be bold for Jesus and not timid. That's why he says in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, Timothy, but of love and power and a sound mind. And you've watched that in your grandmother and in your mother. We need to take heed to that. Paul says, look, I don't want you to, this faith that's been planted in you, don't let it lie dormant. You need to stir it up. The word stir up means to keep the fire going, to keep the fire alive, to to fan the embers of your faith. Don't let it die out. Stir it up. The principle is simple. Tenderness and godliness provide an impetus for boldness. They give a child really everything it needs to know that it can have confidence in God, that the work that God has begun, he's going to finish, that God is faithful, that God is with us, that God is for us. So I'm not going to shrink back. I'm, I'm going to be bold. And dads, i got to tell you, we need to model this too, a bold faith in Jesus. But I want to speak to all of you who are young moms right now, those of you who still have young kids at home. You see, moms, the seeds that you are sowing now in your young child's life, you won't see germinate for a long time. But I want to encourage you in this, they will. They'll germinate. They'll take root. You just keep planting. You just keep watering. And don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, the Bible says, you will reap. And ladies, you need to understand that your boldness and passion for Jesus can rub off on your kids in a good way. You want to know what happened to Timothy? I've mentioned a little bit already, but he joins Paul during his second missionary journey. And you know how old he is when he starts? He's in his late teens, at the most, maybe 20. Timothy was young, but Paul saw something of this genuine faith in this young man. He saw a maturity in him, and he calls him to be his disciple, his friend, and the one that he would really be his co-worker for the rest of his life. It was Timothy who was with Paul when he was in Athens. He was with Paul in Corinth. He was with him in Philippi. He was with him in Jerusalem, and he was with him in Ephesus. Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. He mentions him 11 times in the New Testament, and two letters are written to him. And as I mentioned before, when Paul was ready to turn over the reins, the leadership of the church that he had pastored longer than anywhere else, he chose Timothy 
this man who was like-hearted. I want you to notice, though, when Paul says in verse 6, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul's saying, I laid hands on you to anoint you for ministry. But there's an implication here. It's a beautiful picture. The implication is that his mom and grandmother had already laid their hands on him. They had already poured into him. And all that Paul was doing was affirming the work that God had begun through these two ladies on this young man. And I want to encourage you, ladies, in that. You pour into your kids. You equip them, you teach them, you love them, you point them to Jesus, and somebody else might come along and affirm that work that you've been doing and helping lead them and direct them and point them into what God has for them. So let that seed germinate. Give it time. Watch it grow. Be surprised. Be blessed. God called me into the ministry when I was 18 years old. In a very dramatic way. I don't have time to go into that whole story. But what's interesting is later my mom would tell me that she knew that I was going to be in ministry. God had showed her when I was like 10 or 11 years old. But she never told me. She just loved me, prayed for me, and poured into me, and let God do his work in me. So I encourage you ladies in that. I'll close with this. In Psalm 127, it says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is is His reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. The terminology in that verse presupposes that children are to be launched like an arrow in a direction. It presupposes that you know what the target is. It presupposes that you've arrived at the target first, that you've been there, and that you, by your example and encouragement, can launch them toward that same goal and that same direction. And what's the goal? What's the direction? It's a life yielded and surrendered to Jesus. Your kids are like arrows that you're pointing, you're launching. Kids who can be world changers as they make an impact on their generation moms i just have to say that your calling is great and i'm thankful for all of the moms in our fellowship all the moms in this church family who serve so faithfully who model a passion for jesus that just encourages our hearts that our church family is so much better off because you are a part of it. And I just want to say to all of you moms, keep up the good work. Press into Jesus. For those of you who have kids that are maybe, you know, wayward right now, it's okay. Because God's after them. He loves them. You keep praying for them. You be faithful in your walk with the Lord. I'd like all of the mothers at this time to stand. All the moms. I want to mention to you today that in the courtyard, we have a special gift. Our youth ministry is going to be 
uh, creating for you. You can pick, but they're going to be creating for you your own little bouquet, and they've got uh, some donuts out there for the moms as well. I'm going to have the worship team come back out right now. But I want to just right now, let's just applaud all the moms. And I also want to give a real, real special thanks to these two young ladies next to me today because these gals were leading worship yesterday at the women's event, which women's conference, which was amazing. And uh, they were there all day long and then showed up here at 545 today to be a blessing to all of you. So let's hear it for Nikki and Rachel. But I want to pray over all of you ladies today. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of these moms, each and every one of these grandmothers. Thank you, Lord, for their hearts, for the love that they have for you, for the way that they seek to model being lovers of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for the passion that they have that we see so often in worship as they lift up their voices and hearts for you. We thank you, Lord, for the commitment that they have to be a blessing to the body of Christ in the way that they serve, teach kids and mentor women. And I thank you just for each and every one of these ladies that are standing here and just so much, uh, in so many ways, they're the heartbeat of what happens here at Calvary Vista. And I just pray, God, blessing upon them today. I pray that you would just um, put your blessing upon them. I pray you'd strengthen them. I pray, Lord, for those that need comforting, that you'd comfort them. But Lord, I pray today that they would know how special they are in your eyes. We thank you for them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.